This is Bentley Manning. And this is Kellen Day. This is an experiment to see what happens when church gets canceled. And we find new ways to connect. This is... This is... This is... Empty Pews. Hey y'all, uh, happy Wednesday. Um, hope you're doing well. This is Kellen coming to you from like a really beautiful Highlands. Yeah, this is Bentley. I'm in the same beautiful Highlands. It's spectacular outside. That's insane. Yeah, really nice. Sometimes our girls will say of this place when it is like this, that Highlands is showing off. It's showing off. I love that. So this week is the first time in 15 months, almost, that we are just like inviting people to come to worship without very many limitations, right? Like we don't, you don't have to sign up to come. You don't have to socially distance when you arrive. Um, It's kind of like wake up on Sunday morning and come to church. Yeah. How about it, Kellen? It's totally amazing. You can just show up you can wake up on a sunday morning and go to church uh yeah just like you did at one point in time you've been enormously helpful this whole time with the signups i'm sure you're happy to be done with that that cumbersome so happy thing yeah i mean it it was useful it helped people get to worship you know i'm glad that we could make that work but i'm also glad that the season is over hopefully for a long time. <laughs> well, and okay, look, part of the thing that's in the back of our minds is, of course, we want everyone to come show up, right? But we're a little nervous because we're between spaces. We're in the chapel, not our main sanctuary, which is part of the reason we've kept the signups. But if we have to have signups again because we can't fit folks in the three services we're offering, I trust that's a good problem and we'll figure it out. Yeah. And I mean, you'll pretty much, I think, always have a spot at the 8 or 9.30, so you should just, like, prioritize coming to an early service. If you've never gone to an 8 o'clock, the earlier service, right one, no music, there's a beautiful simplicity to it. And if you're worried about making sure you have a pew, a spot, not a whole, you don't get a whole pew, a spot, uh, come to the 8 o'clock and experience that. I think it can be a really elegant, lovely service uh, that really helps at least it helps me week to week kind of center my heart there's something about the paring down that's helpful Hey, Kellen, so today was a busy day. Uh, We had a vestry meeting, a number of other meetings in the morning, but then you had a really, uh, I thought, interesting morning and afternoon. You were teaching a class for a group of folks at Swanee. I was, yeah, with my friend Hannah Palmersheim, who's a priest in Houston. So tell everybody a little bit more about the class. Like, what were y'all doing? So in seminary, Hannah and I did a bunch of research about... um, We interviewed priests and bishops who have walked their congregation through a process of um, talking about and confronting and truth-telling and repenting around Confederate symbols and images 
in their sacred or around their sacred space. So we had all of this research. We put together a conference in 2019 and um, just sort of started asking ourselves again earlier this year, like, what do we want to do with this? And that's when we were invited to just teach this one section um, of this class that's called um, Anti-Racist Preaching. And um, we just kind of did like a mini version of our conference. Well, I tell you, I totally had this like uh, fear of missing out. I had a vestry meeting and you were telling me about all the folks that were in the class, uh, many of which are friends of ours, colleagues, colleagues. bishops in the class, which I did not know at the time. You had a little bit of everybody. Yeah. Yeah. There's some, oh yeah, there's some folks. It was fun. It went well? Yeah, it went really well. And um, I'm not exactly sure if the people in the class, you know, if they come from congregations who have Confederate flags in their stained glass or, you know, if if our um, teaching was like directly applicable. But I think there are a lot of us who are part of communities that there are Confederate um, memorials, plaques, monuments um, outside of our sacred spaces, if not in them or a part of our history. Uh, Kellen, hard to know exactly what to say uh, in response because I wasn't in the class again. I sure did uh, feel like I was missing out. Uh, but I am someone who uh, will want to be the first to say that our space matters and that the symbols that we have around us are really, really important. Um, so it sounds like uh, you were able to share a good word, an important word, uh, with Uh, some of the leaders in our church about how uh, the images and symbols that we have in our worship space uh, can be uh, formative and maybe not always in the way that we would want or expect or hope uh, for a Christian community. Um, So I, again, I wish I could have joined that. It sounds uh, like it was a good time. And yeah, someone asked, you know, doesn't matter that these symbols exist like that's not really maybe the heart of the work that needs to be done and transforming congregations transforming culture retelling re-narrating histories more fully um and while I agree that I don't think that the only work to be done is around sort of Confederate symbols, um, their removal or recontextualization. I actually think there's this sort of wonderful opportunity to engage our histories, to engage our our place in our histories, um, because these symbols are so concrete, so physical, so before us, and they're sort of an entrance or a portal into the transformation that can happen. And that I do think does mean transformation of space and transformation of symbols and and counter theologies than the theologies that these symbols present in our sacred spaces. Um, but it's certainly not the only work that a community is called to do. Yeah, well, I just real quick, I mean, I think I can't wait, speaking of space and using it as a touchstone or at least a starting point to talk about our history and our story. I cannot wait to get into our new space when it's done and just use the building as a touchstone to talk about um, our beliefs, our theology, where we come from, who we want to be right now as a community. Yeah, I mean, this space is always sort of beckoning you um, to the past and is inviting you to imagine a future. 
I just read in preparation for this class um, this great article, but in the article he talks about how people have an aesthetic before they have an ethic, um, which I just think is true. <laughs> like we are, we are drawn to sort of what is beautiful. Um, maybe before we're drawn to what is good and what is right, or we, we make um, leaps from what is beautiful to what is good and right. So I, I do think just like symbols, space, buildings, they're, they're going to win. <laughs> they're going to be formative and, and to sort of be aware of how that's happening, I think is crucial. Kellen, you're preaching, so it's my turn to summarize the Gospel of Mark. Um, and I think basically what we get uh, is the wonderful story of Jesus being um, ushered into the sea. I mean, it says that the disciples take him uh, into the boat and into the sea, um, and a big wind kind of starts blowing. Uh, the sea uh, becomes a bit of a wreck. And the disciples have to wake up Jesus because he's sleeping in the back of the boat and doesn't realize what's going on. Uh, and when they wake him up, he says, they say to him, don't you, don't you care that we're perishing? Something like this, right, Kellen? And then uh, Jesus rebukes the wind and tells uh, the sea, he says to the sea, peace be still. And then everything calms down. And Jesus asks the disciples why they're afraid and why they still don't have uh, faith. And at that moment, they're filled with great awe, the gospel says. Um, and then they question, who, who could this be uh, that would cause the wind and sea to obey him? That's the best I can do, Kellen. That was great. What a, what a rich, um, multi-layered story that just is, you know, inviting us to turn on our imaginations. Yeah, there's a ton to explore. Yeah. So one of the things that I noticed initially about this text is that there are a number of questions that are sort of being thrown around at um, various people, at Jesus and then at the disciples. And no one ever answers any of the questions. Like, it's, it's just sort of this open moment where the questions stand and they're not closed off with any answers. Maybe the closest you get to an answer is that Jesus says, peace to the sea. Um, that's sort of an answer in and of itself, perhaps, to the disciples' question, teacher, do not care that we are perishing. Um, but it's not a direct answer. So I, I like this text because it kind of is this opening in so many ways. Um, and each of these questions gives, I think, is directed at us too. Like we could be the asker of them. We could be the 
one the question is pointed at and we have to come up with answers for it but the text doesn't doesn't outline that for us Kellen maybe related to this a bit I one of the things that jumps out to me that I so love about this uh, passage is that there's this kind of unguarded honesty with Christ Um, you know teacher do you not care that we're perishing they ask Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so often, I think in my own life, I'm kind of sanitizing maybe or um, arranging my words so that they're kind of presentable to God. But here we're given an example, uh, a witness of just some direct speech. And then things change a bit, right? There's still hanging questions, but there's this directness. Um, and then as a result, uh, things move around a little bit. And I think it's a at least for me, it's a reminder that being uh, honest with God, even if it's difficult, uh, is the right is the right and faithful thing to do. Yeah, I think um, the emphasis on right, like we're invited to speak honestly and directly with Jesus, is um, is a great interpretation, and it's also saying like articulate and speak your most honest and important questions, right? Like these, this question of, you know, don't you care that we're dying, that we might die? Like, just take that question out of this context for a moment. And it works for every one of us. Like, Jesus, like, don't you care that we're dying? Um, That question certainly works for the past year. It... Um, it works in seasons of loss. It works, um, yeah, it's just like what a great sort of lament. (laughs) Like, do you care, God, that we are dying? That your creation is dying? Um, And I think if we don't ask those questions, we might not see or hear Jesus saying, peace, be still. Of course, to ask the question whether or not Jesus cares that we're dying uh, seems to get to the heart of things. And I'm reminded at the beginning of this parable, uh, it says that the disciples took Jesus into the boat as he was. Um, And of course, this story continues and will find its climax, I think, Uh, at Calvary, and we're given a definitive and clear answer uh, from Christ, who is acting as he is uh, on a cross, giving us the answer that, yes, indeed, he cares deeply about our perishing. For I am with thee, be not dismayed, for I am Here's a prayer for all of us. Keep watch, dear Lord, with those who work or watch or weep this night 
and give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick, Lord Christ. Give rest to the weary. Bless the dying. Soothe the suffering. Pity the afflicted. Shield the joyous. And all for your love's sake. Amen. And I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Hey y'all, it was so great to be with you on this episode of Empty Pews. Um, the bells did end up going up this week, and we'll send out a video of that to everyone probably next week. Um, but it was a really fun and joyful occasion. There are no signups required for worship, so we'd love to see you at the 8 o'clock, 9.30, or 11. Um, Until then, we love you. We miss you. God's peace.